0: but we're getting there early, which is good, so we thank God for that. I'm um, going to be reading uh, just at the beginning of Matthew 5 and then uh, then reading the Lord's Prayer as recorded by Matthew in Matthew 6, 9-13. to um, I don't know about you, do you ever struggle in your Christian life? I do, I do. I mean, there's some really good times, there's some really, really good times and then there's other times and you know, you're struggling to see a way through and you think, why are certain things happening and... Um, and most, of the, a lot of the time when that happens to me it's because it's my own fault uh, not all the time uh, maybe I've gone astray a little bit um, or I think I can fix situations blokes like that don't they uh, we can fix things but invariably I can't I'm not good at DIY and I'm not good at fixing and uh, in my in my experience it comes from when I've maybe drifted a bit and relied too much on my own strength and not enough on God's. It's when I've been in rebellion and not put Him first. I've put my own wants and needs first. And actually, that's not what God calls me to do. Uh, Jesus didn't put His wants or need first in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, when He said, Take this cup away from me, but not my will, yours be done. And uh, He knew the sacrifice, what that was going to be, which is a bigger sacrifice than I can ever offer. Um, and I'd mentioned this last week up the road, but uh, CT Studd. I know the regular preacher is a bit of a cricket fan. I can't stand cricket. Um, but C.T. Studd was a, a cricket uh, bloke who went off to be a missionary. And he said, if Jesus Christ died for me, nothing is too hard for me to do for him. So often I try and live that out and maybe I'm not quite there. So I want to uh, talk uh, this morning um, a particular part of the Lord's Prayer right at the end. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's exactly how it ends. So, we're going to say that together we're going to do it at the end. So, say it with me. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Right? Do we believe that? Good. Good. Right, so I'm going to read, uh, first of all, just the really first part of Matthew's uh, uh, account of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Now, when you talked about Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He starts with the Beatitudes, but he goes on the Beautiful Attitudes and then he goes on about all this other stuff as well. And then we finally, he's talking, well not finally, in part of that teaching, he's teaching them. His prayer life must have been great. So he he, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. He says, this is how you should pray. Uh, And Do we all know the Lord's Prayer? I sent an email to Joan in the week saying, whenever we say what a Grace. Can we make sure it's on the screen? We shouldn't assume everyone knows it, and I haven't done it. So I've got to say that now, otherwise i get myself in trouble. So let's say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we've forgiven those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And we believe it, don't we? So right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, which I read, Jesus sees the crowds. That's the first lesson for us. He sees the crowds. How often do I walk around? I'm so consumed with myself and my family and my problems. I don't see the crowd. I don't see the lost. And actually, when I first became a Christian, it was always, almost immediate for me that I did see that. I saw the lostness on people's faces. I look at around the world now, and the world is lost. And it's lost until they know Christ the Saviour. They can't, they can't find fulfilment. They can't find satisfaction. They can sing along with Mick Jagger. I know I'm looking around, I think you all know the words uh, that I would say. I can't get no satisfaction. They can't get it because they don't know Christ. And it's great that I often say, look, a third of the world are Christians. That means two-thirds aren't. Two-thirds aren't. Recent this week, a lot of, um, you know, you've got to get your theology uh, and maybe Christian attitude right. Who knows? Does this girl come back into the country, join diocese or not? But There's a lot of people who've now who joined, who are now saying they want to come back. They've found that way of life isn't what it was wrapped up to be. There is deceit in the world and it's disgusting. And we need to bring Christ back where he belongs. So he sees the crowd. He goes up on the mountainside. He goes somewhere uh, to teach him. His followers, first of all, come to him. Right? His followers. Now, Christ is the most, when I've looked at the life of Christ, he's the most attractive, in as far as character, man you could ever meet. You know, the, the, his followers, uh, imagine if he was here now. His followers, we would be here. But outside, they'd be saying he would see them. Right? He sees the crowds. And they would want to come and see him because whether they believe him or not, he's the most interesting person that ever lived. So his followers came to him, he sees the crowds, he goes up on the mountain, his followers come to him and he begins to teach them. And what a brilliant, a wonderful, dramatic, inspiring picture it gives you of the church now, or how it should be. You can't help, or I can't help but read it. And imagine in sort of amazement what is happening. What a great parallel to what we're about as church now. He's got the crowds. That's the world. Okay. The world looks at us to see how we're living. I can preach my heart out. I can tell you what changes lives is when people see the difference Christ has made in yours. You can preach all you like. But when they see that radical believer, they think, I want some of that. How do they cope in these different circumstances? How can they be so sacrificial? How can they be so loving? Who does that to them? Preachers can preach, but really it's words. Words without deeds are dead. So we've got the crowds, we've got the world, and then we've got the followers, which is the church. Okay, And he teaches his church, but the world is looking on. And I wonder if they're looking, to, not only because Jesus was so amazing, but they're looking to say, I wonder if this lot are really true believers. I wonder if they'll really do what he says. The people then were fascinated And the desire of Jesus is on that mountainside as it ever was because he said, my mission is to come and seek and save the lost. He looks on the crowds as 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 well as his own followers. And his desire of Jesus was to reach out. He wanted to seek and save the lost, but he also wanted his people to be true followers of him. He wants disciples. We don't see converts in the Bible. We see followers, disciples. It means that Jesus wants followers rather than just consumers. And, and I think when I look at the state of the church in the West, a lot of the time it's full up with consumers. I want the church that I want. I want to sing the songs that I want to sing. I want the preacher that I like. It's all about them. What about glory to God? What about all blessing, honour and power to God? Not to me. It's not my kingdom, it's his. Imagine the impact. Where did we get this... This. Um, Uh, belief that I'm supposed to be comfortable in church or in life. Because that's disappointment because at some point something's going to upset you. It upsets me. But you know, and life brings all sorts of things. But if I'm seeking my own fulfilment first, I'm going to be disappointed. If I seek first the kingdom, I can see through it and see what God is doing. You know, look at a lot of people don't like the uh, immigrants, do they? You know, and Brexit, a big big part of that was about the illegal immigrants. I always wondered about that. If they're legal, then we've got laws already. We're just not enforcing them. But that's a different argument for a different day. But I try and, as a minister and a theologian, try and step back and say, what is God doing? Biggest people movement in history since the Second World War. What is he doing? You go to the Catholic churches in London, they're all full up because of all the Polish immigrants. And you think about our nation, which is increasingly turning its back on God. Is God sending people to our nation to evangelise back to us, those people we evangelise to? You know, I don't know. But we've got to see, we've got to look through the mess sometimes and see God in the big picture. As we gather here, as they did on a mountainside, he teaches us. I think most, mostly everyone here is a follower of Jesus. If you're not, we can fix that afterwards. But there are many on the outside who should be looking in. And there's many people searching for answers. They want to know what the church says about the issues of the world. The world knows more about what we disagree on than what we really believe. We know it's not the church, but the head of the church, who we seek to speak for. There's a time in in the year, which most of you will be aware of, where there's a lot of names read out on the same day all over the country. Can you tell me what that is? Remembrance Sunday. You know, you go down to Biliriki or Stock or most towns or cities, people come out. I mean, apparently, we don't all care, but they do that day. They come out thousands. And every, every year, these names are read out all over the country on Remembrance Sunday, as they should. You know, people that died for the greater good. But there's one name that needs to be heard much more than it is, at least in in a better context than when we normally hear it. One name that needs to be read out every day of a man who was God, who died for all humankind, not just in one or two wars, who broke into history at a moment in time and he changed things forever. He is God and his name is to be glorified. And these are the words, when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, that he passes on to us as the world and his followers look on. And he said, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. At least the later Church said he said that. Because did you know, if you read in your Bibles, the verse actually isn't in there. It was added later on. So in this Bible I've got here, it ends on, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. And there's a little footnote, A, if I go down to A. Some late manuscripts, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So the final part of the Lord's Prayer doesn't appear in the earliest manuscripts of the New Testament. And as a result, most modern translations, like the NIV, place it as a footnote. But it's is—it's worth being there, and there's a reason it's there. It appears to be a very early addition to the Lord's Prayer. It was almost certainly used by the church a short time after uh, Jesus gave this prayer to his followers. The Jewish prayers of Jesus' time generally ended with some sort of blessing to God. So it's probable that Jesus expected his followers to conclude the prayer with probable words very similar to these, but that is a little bit of speculation. But why why would they put that in there? It probably was how prayers were ended. Why would they put it in there? And it's an interesting thing when you look at it. Look how it would end if they didn't. Deliver us from the evil one. God would not want Satan to get the last word. And he would do, because it's talking about evil. Satan doesn't get the last word. God gets the last word. He defeated Satan on the cross. We're in the mopping up campaign there, but it was done. The cry of the cross is, it is finished. It is finished. You look around, you look around, and you can see where Satan's trying to get the last word. It's unlikely that his prayer would have ended on the downbeat note of protect us from evil. We don't want the devil getting the last word. This ending takes us back from spiritual warfare, which we're all engaged in, but to praising God. We don't want to end on evil, we want to end on God. So confident, expectant, expectant praise... Which puts all of our prayers in their right perspective. If you look at the world news, there's famine, there's wars. I mean, you see, you know, if you can give £2 a month here and £2 a month there and text it and we won't contact you, yet somehow the next day 10 companies have your mobile number. You know, it's all a bit hit and miss, isn't it? But it tugs at the heartstrings. It tugs at the heartstrings. I know we all give into church life and that gets disseminated, which is great. But it, it hurts. You see the wars, you see the famine. When children are involved, it's just unfair. There's discord, there's broken relationships, there's drunkenness, not just in other countries, here as well. Drugs, self-harm, low self-esteem, sexualisation of everything. But against that stands the church. The devil does not get the last word. He does not get the last word. And so we say, yours is the kingdom, not my kingdom, certainly not his kingdom, yours, God, it's your kingdom. Your kingdom. I'm not here, nor are you, to build your kingdom. We're here to build God's kingdom. God's rule and reign. God's kingdom is forever. That's what we just sung. An awesome thought. Everything else I have, all the worldly things I have, all my concerns, all my cares, they will all pass away. All the powers, the business empires, the political regimes, all the people that really thought they knew what they were doing. They don't need God in their life. They will all pass away. But the kingdom of God goes on forever. All the choices that we have, the different supermarkets, thousands of brands, TV channels. I grew up in the golden age of three, which started at midday, which if you were a kid, was a nightmare if you were off school. You had to watch this woman on the blackboard thinking, come on, get on with it. (laughs) There was no VHS. there. There was no phones. It was all a lot simpler. TV channels, thousands of things to read, whole world to take your holidays in, endless products and services competing for our attention and our money, activities filling in our limited time. How do you cope with that? How do you prioritise that? For Christians, our priority has to be the kingdom. If we believe the words we sung, and if you believe the end of that prayer, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory for ever and ever Amen. then we have to look first at his kingdom. How we live, how we spend our money, our relationships, our time, our service, our character, the kingdom has to be our priority because that's how we're going to evangelise the world. It won't be through much, the preaching. There will be some, badly for me. You know, the the Bible talks about how they hear if no one tells them. But I I can preach my heart out, but if you lot don't live it out, it's, it's meaningless. If I don't live it out, it's meaningless. Whatever success, business, life, medals... Our overriding question has got to be, how am I doing insofar as furthering the kingdom of God? Because that's going to last forever. And all this other stuff, it's important, but it's not for eternity. I don't want a narrow view, and I don't believe God does as well. That only full-time Christian workers can serve it fully. Actually, you can do more damage than I can to, the, to, to hell and to Satan because you're scattered throughout the week. I'm generally within the church. You're seeing loads of people that are not Christians. And your character and the way you do things, the things you say, the way you act, how you respond, that's, that's what attracts people to Christ. And by bringing God's standards to bear wherever he's called you, at home, the office, the classroom, that's where you're serving the kingdom of God. And we are called to be counter-cultural, aren't we? I remember um, once I preached, and uh, I don't know if i said this here or not, I might have done. But um, I was trying to make this point, and it was basically saying, in the middle of the financial crisis, what do you think of bankers and brokers? This was at a church, and they all out "Cheats! You know, string them up!" Um, I don't think anyone did say string, but it's a good illustration. Uh, but it's certainly none of it. It was all derogatory, all derogatory. And I said, you know, these guys—they just because they get a train out of Billericay to Liverpool Street. They get at their desk at six in the morning. Don't make them a pariah. You don't know their lives. Uh, but we're looking at, the, we're looking at the, what the press are telling us and we're going to judge them. They all earn too much money. They've all got too much privilege. And, you know, yet they're all cheats. And I told them this story about uh, the guy, J.P. Morgan. And uh, what, I was talking to someone right at the beginning. A lot of the corporates now give staff time off. They have to have it uh, three to five days a year where they do something in the community. Um, I, I, I helped make the poppies when I did all the poppies at Tower Bridge but this guy, he was a lot more intelligent than me, I could make flowers he could go and teach maths and English to underprivileged kids so he was at J.P. Morgan and as part of the community, community action that J.P. Morgan said he had to do he went into a school in the East End uh, to teach maths and English to some underprivileged kids um, and he did that for his week and that was it but it was, it, he so loved the kids he took, they really got to his heart That After the program was over, he spent his own money and used his own time. He carried on one night a week uh, doing after-school maths and English. And many of those kids, in a very underprivileged area, testified to the huge difference he made to their lives. In his last session, this is a true story, his last session saw him hooked up to a drip. He had a drip because he was suffering from cancer. But he wanted to teach them one last time. And he told them to make the most of their lives. Not to be ashamed of any kind of privileges they get, but to make the most of it. And he died at 32 the next day. Is he one of the pariahs? Or the people earning too much money? The Christians judged him, because I did it in another church. I said, you've called them all these names. Has any of you ever gone into a school and taught? I was trying to make the point that we're kingdom people. Uh, where does it say that we're to be the judges there there is a judge people will get judged i love billy graham's quote it's god's job to judge our job is to love you can apply it to whatever you're involved in it's easy to judge and easy to and this is as i said at the beginning where i can get into trouble i walk away from the kingdom values and i might make a judgment or do something and actually when i come back that's what i'm supposed to be and it can get me in trouble it shows you how quickly we can shift away from kingdom values. Jesus sits on the mountainside and he teaches us, where did I get the right to condemn? With well, the church of Christ and the kingdom of God has been given to us. We should honour that and use it for the greater good. And it means making kingdom values the priority of our lives. And wherever you are, we all need to work hard at this. And we have the help of God himself, the Holy Spirit. Everything else is going to fade away. But those things that you do for the kingdom, they last forever. So, uh, uh, along from the Lord's Prayer that we read in Matthew 6.33, Jesus helps them. He says, look, you've got all these concerns of the world, you know, and they are concerns, but seek first the kingdom. So, he's just taught them in the Sermon on the Mount about beatitudes, character, the beautiful attitudes. He says, seek them. He talks about being salt and light and being that difference in the world, making a difference. Seek to be that. Seek to be salt and light. He talks about the word of God, seeking that first rather than listening to the world. He talks about anger and says you should seek to uh, give and receive forgiveness. He talks about relationships. He says seek first purity. He talks about vows and promises. He says seek integrity. He talks about giving he says seek generosity. And then he comes to prayer and he wants it to be, you need to be seek to be authentic. And as I go about worrying all those things that he's taught about, you know, money, lust, divorce, word of God, anger, relationships, vows, he says, look, all of that, all of that, as I go about worrying all of that and what I think and how I think the world should be, Jesus says, seek first his kingdom. The NRSV translates it a bit better. I don't know why the NIV doesn't. It actually says strive first for the kingdom. And I like that because seek means let me have a look around and see where God's kingdom is. Where strive is I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to strive for the kingdom. I'm going to respond in the right way, not maybe in a way that someone deserves. I'm going to love when people are unlovable. I'm going to forgive where they don't deserve it. I'm going to give financially or in service, even though it hurts and it's sacrificial. I want to put God first. Because his is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the kingdom. And you have and I have all this opportunity to go about spreading that. He doesn't leave us on our own. He gives us power. Yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. Philippians 4.13, I, I come back to this verse again and again, because I I struggle with self-doubt and low self-esteem just like everybody else. Um, I was saying to Joan at the beginning, now that I've gone past 50, I get letters from the doctor. It's not because he likes me, it's because he's worried about me. And he says, you should come in once a year for a little check-up. And Andrew says, the the car gets a service once a year. you know, And you're more important than the car. Why don't you give yourself a service? And I have every intention of going in, but I want to lose a bit of weight first. Okay, get the cholesterol down. You know, it's like saying, let the car run out of oil and then I'll fill it up. You know, it's broken, isn't it? You know. So I have my own hang-ups and everything else, right? And I have my, I have my times when I think, how am I going to get through this? I can't see a way through this. Philippians 4.13, we're looking at God's power. I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. Right? Everything. Many times I feel out of my depth particularly in ministry. When I went up to Stock, I thought, how am I going to run a church? You know, they all think I know what I'm doing. (laughs) But somehow, we had 10 years up there, we had a good time. But God, so many times, proved that he was there for us. When I came to Billericay Baptist, pre-congregations, that sounds like a lot of work. You know, how's that going to work? I was a student minister before. How's it going to work? I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. But it's not to say I've got all the answers. I haven't got all the answers. I just keep seeking him. Do you know the good thing about all of you? You've all survived your worst ever day. And I bet there were times when you thought you couldn't. But he got you through it. You're here now. Whatever your worst day in life has ever been, you got through it because you can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Romans one sixteen says the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. It still gets me in evangelism. I preach and people respond. I think, well, you know, God must be doing that. I don't think I'm that good. He must be doing it. And I would never get fail to get surprised at the power that God gives when someone preaches authentically and truthfully his word. There is so much temptation to wander away from this word. There's so much pressure uh, from the world with current issues. but We have to hold fast because the gospel is the power of God. Evangelism, it still gets me how God does it. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. Ephesians is, um, uh, John Stott described Ephesians as the gospel of the church. It talks about the church a lot. Paul finishes by reminding the church in Ephesus to be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. So it means whatever situation I find myself in, or the church in I can say well I've got to rely on God I need to be strong I need to be strong in the Lord and his mighty power I could pack up I could go for an easier life you probably feel like walking away sometimes but he says be strong in the Lord because the devil would love you to walk away And it means that we can do so many things in God's strength it doesn't mean that we say look what I've done Look what I've achieved. It's look what, Lord, you've given me. Look at the power you've given me. It's not, Lord, look what I've done for you. God, isn't in, God is not in my debt. I'm in his debt. So all I do should be for the kingdom of God, but I do it in his strength. And it's a great encouragement for me as I live out my life and as you live out yours. The same strength that keeps the universe going, the earth turning, everything going around that we can't even imagine. We haven't seen all of space yet. We can't get there. It's so so vast that the same strength that keeps that universe going is the power that's available to us, for you here at South Green. But I I wonder how much we really believe it, pray for it and tap into it. I wonder if we really lived our lives out, got less comfortable, really relied on God, just the impact we could have. Ephesians 3 verse 20, Now to him. Who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine? He's going to do more than you ask for, according to His power, not my power, His power that is work, which is at work within us. And I'm going to finish that verse. Well, I'm not actually. It goes to the next verse when I come on to the last bit. But what it's saying is His mighty power works within us and within you. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is apparent in His church. But how often do we tap into it? How often do I try and wrestle through things without saying, God, I'm laid bare now, I'm stripped back, and I absolutely rely on you. And as we do that, we allow the Spirit of God, because we empty ourselves to work through us. So you've got to ask yourself this morning, are you tapping into that power? And if you are, how are you using it? For me, I know my call was to preach and lead a church, but that's not for everybody. We don't need 300 leaders. If you did, honestly, we'd never agree on anything. It's a nightmare as it is now. For me, it's preaching or leading church. When I preach, I feel that I, I get passionate because God inspires me. But you'll have your passions. It could be leading worship. It could be making a tease. It could be part of the setup. It could be a passion for here, for the people, pastoral care. You can't manufacture that. You, you've got it. You know, I love the local church. Biggest employer of youth workers in the country has feeding programmes, sets up schools, clothing programmes, has a life-changing message that needs to be spread. If I'm a leader, the Bible says I must lead diligently. Sometimes I have to see, like I said at the beginning, the big picture. You know, most of the time it's relatively easy. I'm working with a good bunch of people. I've got a good congregation, but sometimes there are tough decisions. I don't like tough decisions. I don't like conflicts. I have to pray about it and say... God, can you, you know, I need you. I don't want this. But I have to seek first his kingdom and I have to rely on his power. And so must you. And it may, leads me to the last point where we're going to end, on the glory, because yours is the kingdom, the power, and we do it for what? His glory. And this is the purpose of our lives. So I've finished that Ephesians verse. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, verse 21, to him be the glory in the church, not the senior pastor, not the associate ministers, not the worship leaders, not the preachers, not the elders, not the deacons, not even the congregation. The glory only goes one place, and it's to him. And this reminds us of the ultimate purpose of what we are, who we are, and what we do. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he is to be glorified Now, thoughts, words, and actions. It's God that has to be praised, not us. And we're in a culture where seeing, seeking glory is a bit of a thing. People like to tell everybody else what they're up to. And we desperately need perspective. It's the name of Jesus that's to be lifted up. Not mine and not yours. For yours, not mine, not yours, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. That's for our lives, past, present and future. It puts all of it in perspective. Because we will pass away. But we'll be with him forever forever. But all this stuff is going to go. But his kingdom lasts forever. Jesus is on the mountainside. The world is watching. His followers are listening. And the question this morning is what his, what, what his followers who have listened to him, will they put it into practice? Would they put his teaching into action? Would they take his words at face value and say, yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. If you say that, I'm going to do it. I, was, I don't often go on the God channel. Um, I think Andrea put it on actually and I came down the stairs and she'd gone out the room and I was watching it and uh, someone it was yesterday morning and someone was preaching they said, at what point, and it was actually quite pertinent to us which God has a habit of doing that, doesn't timing. Um, And I just came down the stairs and I was listening to this lady and she she said, at what point when we want to know all the answers, all the solutions, all the future, all the worries and the concern, all the rest of it, at what point is your faith that big that big that you just say, oh, I haven't got the answers, I don't know and I don't need them, I trust you and I trust you and your kingdom and that you will work things out. What point do we, can we stop asking about all the issues because we trust God so much and it's a real challenge to me but if we go out and live this, that's how people become Christians, they're going to see you and the way you are and the way you react and your kingdom values, they're not seeing me they're not here, they're out there Right? And you're the church scattered through the week. You're going out to all the various places. They're not going to come into my office in Perry Street. Well, I don't want to Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday because I won't be there anyway, but but they're not coming to see me. They see you. They see you, and you've got immense power. You can seek first the kingdom, you rely on God's power and you give him all the glory. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. He's on the mountainside, the world watches. And we need to respond accordingly. I visited a friend of mine uh, a few years back, and uh, we went to—we went to really bad. You'd have to forgive me for this. Went to this place called Sheesh in Chigwell. Anyone been there? Right, the, the, it's got a really bad reputation. It's a very good restaurant, but Alan Sugar owns it, so um, that's enough to turn you off. She's associated with Tottenham Hotspur, but other than that. The food was good. And we stayed overnight. We stayed overnight, didn't we? We stayed overnight. And we had a nice sleep and everything. And we got up in the morning. His daughter got up early and she, she, she made us a tea. And my mate weren't down yet. And she made him a tea. Um, but anyway, he comes down ten minutes later. He said, oh, Dad, I've made you a tea. I thought that was a nice thing daughters to do. And he drank it and spat it out. He said, oh, it's oh, it just lukewarm. And we know, don't we? Jesus said, Revelation 3.16, because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You know, and I think those, those disciples on the mountainside, they went on to change the world. They weren't lukewarm. They absolutely believed in what Jesus said. And they lived their lives in such a way. They weren't perfect but they did try and God's power was within them. They did go out praying for the sick and they were getting healed. They did love where people didn't deserve love. They did give until it hurt. And just sometimes I think there's, and me included, sometimes we're just a bit too lukewarm and a bit too safe. We need to get the water hot. We need to be burning with the Holy Spirit. In Romans 12, verse 11, one of my favourite passages, never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn live in harmony with one another. You don't want to be lukewarm, do you? Really. It's just distasteful. Or do you want to be lukewarm? We don't want to be lukewarm, do we? We don't want to be a consumer church, do we? You know, what can I get out of it rather than what can I put into it? What suits me rather than seeking first the kingdom? We don't want that. We want plenty of zeal and spiritual fervour, serving the Lord, who went up on a mountainside, taught the disciples, as he taught his disciples, and as they lived their lives out, the world looked on. So they went out blessing others, and that's what we want to do, isn't it? Hmm. Yes. Yes. We want to seek first the kingdom, don't we? Yes. And why do we want to do that? Because yours, and you're going to say it with me, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And I'm going to invoke a Jonism, which I've picked up on this morning. I want us to say it now like we really, really mean it. And for those that can raise their voices, let's declare it to God, because this is part of a prayer. And then we're going to say for the ever and ever bit. Are you ready? Because yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Do you know what amen means? so be it, it's like you've signed a contract so go out from this place and say to God, yours is the kingdom it's not my kingdom, it's yours you catch me up in it and I can serve in it and I'll do it for you, and I can do it because I've got your power. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. I can face anything. You've already got through your worst ever day, and you're here. He will see you through, and I'll do all of that. I'll seek first your kingdom. I'll do it in your power, and I'm going to give all the glory to you because yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So be it. I've signed the contract. Now, after your tea and worship, go out, and serve the kingdom of God in his power and for his glory. And just see what people do. You'll be the most attractive people in the world because you're different. You do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. You bear the name of Christ. You are a Christian. You are a Christian. A a, a name given in distaste at the time is our badge of honour now. You are a Christian. And let's be prepared to be on that mountainside, sitting with our Lord, listening to his words and going out and do what he says. Seek first the kingdom. So Father, we thank you for those words. We thank you for the impact that they can have in our lives if we just open up our hearts. Let us be stripped bare so you can fill us with your spirit. As we worship in response now, Lord, I pray Holy Spirit, come and be among us. Fill us afresh. Send us out into your world, the church scattered, to be seeking first your kingdom. All the glory and honour goes to you. We bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.